The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. I hope you are doing well. Um, Listen, as we get into this text, I've been reminded of something this week, um, and, and I think this is going to tie together as we work through this text, actually, is I've been reminded that that as Christians, it it can be really easy uh, to slip into fear. It's the what ifs. It's the, you know, what if this happens or that? I mean, we're still in a pandemic, and so what if? What if, you know, where's that line between wisdom and fear and our response to this virus, right? There's, there's, there's some, there's some fear there. We're an election in an election. And so you have the what ifs. I mean, what if he wins or what if he loses? And I say all this to say it's easy. It can be easy for us to slip into fear. And as we get into our text together this morning, I would just like to remind you, and probably more accurately said, I'd like to remind myself that we can believe what the Bible says, not only about our past and about our present in Christ, but and praise God for that, by the way, but, but Scripture not only tells us the truth about our past and our present, we stand on the truth of what the Bible says about our future. That God wins, that the enemy is defeated, that no more sin, pain, death, uh, no more. That our future is secure in Christ, and this is ours. And because that's true, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Uh, Maybe that was just for me this morning, I don't know. But um, as we get into our text, I want to invite you to turn with me. Turn with me to the book of Romans Um, we're going to be in chapter five. So while you're getting there, let me just give you the main point of Romans so far. So if you've been with us for any amount of time, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. But the main point, the main argument that Paul is putting before us is this. Justification is by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It's like Paul says in, in verse one of chapter five, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the, that's the meat of Paul's argument. That's the foundation. Well, this morning, we get to look at three very short verses. And, and as we do this, we get to look at one of the most profound implications of justification by faith alone. Honestly, I I don't say this lightly. This is one of the craziest, most mind-blowing, misunderstood, overlooked aspects of the gospel message. This morning, Paul is going to direct our focus to timing. Timing. And how many know, how many know that timing is, is everything? Think about this. By the way, let me say this up front. I'm not, you know, condoning gambling. In fact, the opposite. Okay, uh, so don't don't you know leave here saying Pastor said it's okay to gamble. I did not. All right, but think about it like this. Think about the the Texas lottery. All right, 
Timing is everything. Think about the lottery. There is a huge difference in picking the right numbers before the drawing and picking the right numbers after the drawing. See, the, the reality is, is, is that the lottery, it's not just about picking the right numbers. Anyone could do that. The lottery is about picking the right numbers before the drawing. And why is that? It's because timing is everything. And because timing is everything, well, the lottery is not a charity. It's not the statewide charity. By the way, the odds are stacked against you heavily in the lottery, all right? Uh, but let me get back on topic here. So because timing is everything, our understanding of timing is, is huge. It's so important. This morning, as we examine the text, we are going to look at the way timing is everything in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timing is everything in justification by faith. Our understanding of this, our understanding of timing, it has a huge impact on our understanding of the gospel. It's not a small thing that we as finite creatures need to understand about what the, what scripture says about timing. And I believe this text this morning is going to help us to see this. So here is how I'd like to unpack this text this morning. What I'd like to do is I, I want to read this. It's a short passage. Just let me read it all the way through. And then what we'll do is we'll stop. We'll take a step backwards and then we'll, we'll work through it and kind of unpack it uh, together. So take this in with me. It says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want to make some observations here. Uh, more than that, I want to make a proposition here. Um, would you, with me, would you notice the five-letter word, while? While. So I believe this is one of the most important words in this whole verse. You're going to see this word twice, once at the front, second word in, right? And once in the, the back, toward, toward the end. And although this is just a you know five-letter word here, the word here is huge. While is a huge word here because it's a timing word. So let's think about this. You know what while means. While means, you know, at the same time or meanwhile or dur during that, that same time. It means not before, not after, but, but during the same time. So if you look at verse 6, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, this means at the same time that we were weak, during that time. It was during the time that we were still weak that Christ accomplished his work. Now, why is that so important? Well, because timing is everything. It is not, you know, there was a time way back then when you were weak, when you were a sinner, but then you chose Jesus, you cleaned up, you accepted Jesus, made a decision to follow him, and then he forgave you, and then he died for you, then he accomplished the work for you. That's not what scripture teaches. See, it's not an after thing. No, it's a while thing. And there are two things that I think we need to understand um, because this 
this word while is important. The first thing is this, and simply put, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Not good people, because there are none. Not people who try hard, because that isn't the standard. And it's not even people who are good in comparison to others, right? Because God is perfect and and our God doesn't grade on a curve. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Jesus tells us this so many times throughout the Gospels. We see this in Matthew. Matthew 9.13 that says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see that repeated in Mark 2.17 that says, Those who are well, they don't have a need of a physician. It's those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see the same thing in in, in Luke, in Luke 5.32, that's Jesus echoes this same thing, that I didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners, to bring sinners to repentance. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is why Paul echoes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15 that says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. See, Christ came to save sinners, not those who were once sinners, not those who were once struggling, not those who were at one time, a long time ago, sick. No, Jesus came to save sinners, to complete his work on the cross while we were dead in our sins. See, timing is everything. So the first thing we need to understand here is that Christ came to save sinners. The second thing, hear me, church, Jesus knew what he was purchasing on the cross. He knew what he was getting. I mean, have you ever, you know, been duped into buying something that wasn't what you thought? And maybe, I hope this hasn't happened to you, but maybe you buy a house and find out the foundation shot or whatever the case may be. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever dropped like a bunch of money and, and then found out it wasn't cracked up what it was cracked up to be? You know, um, Maybe have you ever bought something and then had like immediate buy, uh, buyer's remorse? Have you, have you ever been there? Listen to me, church. Do you know what the word while tells me? Do you know what it tells us? It tells me that Jesus is never duped. It tells me that Jesus never has buyer's remorse. It tells me that Jesus never steps back in disappointment and thinks, wow, Justin, Justin's just not all he was cracked up to be. Look at him. Oh, if only what I, I I would have known what I was getting when I bought him, right? The word while tells me that Jesus knew exactly what he was purchasing with his blood. The word while tells me that, that I don't need to clean myself up in order to earn salvation because Jesus took me. He looked at me while I was dead in my sin and declared me clean because of his work on my behalf. See, this is justification by faith alone. This is why the word while is so important because timing is everything. One of my favorite texts in all of the Bible that, that just shows this truth so beautifully is Paul's words in Roman or in uh, Ephesians 2. Uh, in Ephesians 2, it says, And you were dead in your in trespasses and sin in which you once walked. And 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'll pause there because for those in Christ, this was you. This was me. This is how scripture identifies, identified you. For those hearing this who have not yet responded to the gospel, for those who have not been changed by the spirit, regenerated, this is how scripture identifies you. But praise God. That scripture does not leave us there. Because listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when we were dead. In other words, even while we were dead. While we were In that state, God was rich in mercy and love and made you alive in Christ. Timing is everything. Because if you get the timing wrong, you can't fully understand grace through faith. If we fail to understand the while, we begin to justify ourselves by our works or think that we can earn it. When scripture says no, justification is by grace through faith. And that's why the while here is so important in our text. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, before we move on, if you have, if you have ever if you ever doubt the love of God, just consider the word while. Because, church, it was in the depths of your sin and rebellion when you were shaking your fists at your God that, that God looked down on you, chose you, and paid the ultimate price for you. He knew what he was purchasing. It was while you were dead in your sin that Christ died for you, not after, but while. See, see, hear me, church. God did not wait for your righteousness to make you righteous. He did not wait for your love to show you love. Jesus did not wait for your obedience to be obedient to death. Jesus did not wait for you to humble yourself before he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. See, the gospel is not a transaction where you or or me, where we bring something to the table in order to to receive grace. No, Paul is clear that righteous, the righteous will live by faith. And it was while you were dead in your sin that Christ paid the ultimate price with his life for your life. I could talk about the implications of the word while um, all morning long, but We have more to get to here and to think about together. So let's move forward because again, timing is everything. But we see this not only in the word while, but let's consider again, verse six together. It says, for while we were still weak, what does Paul say? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Would you focus on that phrase here with me at the right time? 
This again is about timing. I mean, timing is everything. The phrase at the right time, by the way, is a phrase that's kind of, it's pregnant with meaning. It's pregnant with twins, in fact, because there are two implications with this phrase. On this side, the, the first implication is that this phrase, at the right time, it deal, it's a historical phrase. It deals with the fact that Jesus came in the perfect moment in history. Galatians calls this the fullness of time that Jesus came. Jesus Christ came. He steps into human history at the perfect moment, the moment that was preordained from the beginning of creation. This was the perfect plan of God, and this was the perfect timing of God. And so how many like history? I love history. Um, and you know, one of the reasons why I love history, it's because history tends to repeat itself. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And, and this fact is so powerful, uh, for me, it's a powerful reminder for me, especially in 2020, we started at the beginning talking about fear, but, but think about this. I mean, it's easy for us to think that we're living somehow in the pinnacle of all human history, that nothing has ever been this challenging, that the, that these are unprecedented times and we've never seen anything like this before. Right. And because of that, um, it's easy to just think we have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know if we're going to make it through, right? And 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 I want to be very clear. I mean, 2020 has been a beast. It has been unique to say the least. Um, but as a, as we said at the beginning, this time, this moment is not a cause for Christians to fear because just one look through history will reveal we have gone through some difficult times before, and our God is faithful. Listen, I, I know we're coming into an election, and I've heard this language uh, often from people that, that feel that this is the biggest election ever. And yes, I, I mean, this election might be big, and elections are important. They have consequences. All of that is true. But listen, one look through history will show us that elections, rulers, even governments, they, they come and they go. And our God remains. His people remain. And this is why, church, that our confidence and our hope, it's not in man. It is in our God who is eternally unshakable. And again, we know how this ends. And I think we as believers, as Christians, need to be better at recognizing that fact. That our confidence is not in man, but in our God alone. And in that, this, this idea that Ecclesiastes puts before us, that there is nothing new under the sun, it's so comforting to me through times like this. Um, but as much as that is true, there was a unique moment in history that was like none other before it or after it. The moment that changed everything. The moment, as our text says, that was at just the right time. That single moment in time, that single moment in history, that moment over 2,000 years ago is unlike any other day. It was the perfect day, the perfect time, the right time 
The moment when Christ came was the perfect moment in human history. There was a perfect reason and plan for why Christ came when he came at exactly exactly the right moment. And not before, not after. He was not late. He was not early. It was the perfect time. His timing was perfect in world history. But I can't stop there because, like I said, this term, at the right time, it's bigger than just, it's pregnant with twins, remember? It's bigger than just the historical side because it's also deeply personal. It's deeply personal. It deals not only in historical terms, but it's it's the perfect time for you and for me. See, you and I are powerless to save ourselves. We are powerless to free ourselves. And this is why, church, his timing is perfect. Like a person caught in the middle of the ocean who is drowning, God, at just the right time, picks us up and saves us. When your life, church, is hanging in the balance, when your soul is hanging in the balance, Timing is everything. Timing is everything. Okay, let's think about something else together. Let's look at verse 7 because this is just, this is just so practical. Verse 7 says this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So let's pause there. Um, much has been written about this verse, by the way. Uh, what is Paul saying here? Who's the righteous person? Is the righteous person the same as the good person? Like, what is it that Paul is saying? Um, all good questions. And listen, I love a good old dive into deep dive into scripture where we can kind of get into the intricacies of what this could mean, right? I love all that. But but sometimes, sometimes I think that we could be so quick to dive so deep into the trees that we kind of miss the forest a little bit. And so I, I want to make sure that we don't miss this. So let's look at this because um, as we look at this verse, here's one thing that we need to understand. Life is precious. Life is precious. I mean, let's consider human life specifically. How many know that human life, all human life is valuable? It is precious. Amen. Amen. As Christians, we believe this. Not only do we believe this, but we do not bend on this one. Um, this is why so often I get I get kind of frustrated when we see these these important sacred things kind of politicized in our in our environment. Which this is not a political um, statement at all. Um, as Christians, we need to fight for the lives of others, the vulnerable, not because of a political alignment, but because we are made in the image of God and life has value. And so this is why as the people of God, so often we step into issues such as the sin of abortion or the sin of racism, because there is a sanctity of all human life. Life is valuable. We are we believe and we know that scripture teaches we are created in the image of God. And so life is valuable and we protect the lives of others. As Christians, we must fight to protect. This is also why, church, we, we also yearn to protect our own lives as well because your life is precious. Your life has significance and value and, and meaning. 
See, we believe in the sanctity of all human life because as scripture says, we're created in the image of God, the imago Dei. And your life has profound value. And having said that, did I mention I love history? Returning to history, you're able to read and, and to learn about so many men and women who have gone before us, who have given their lives, their precious and valuable lives for another, for a friend, for um, a cause, for the truth, right? We read these moments in history where these men and women have such incredible courage that they would lay down their life for someone else or for what they know is right. Well, here's what's happening in this text. See, Paul is getting us to consider the sacrifice. And what he's doing is he's personalizing it. He's getting us to think about this question. Who would you give your life for? See, Paul says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Meaning, it's rare, church, for a person to volunteer, voluntarily give their life for another, even good people. Like, it's rare for a person to die for another, even when that person is a friend. It's almost unimaginable as a sacrifice to give our lives, even for those we love, for those who are good to us, close to us, to the good people in our lives. See, it's a sacrifice. It's a, a noble, profound, it's, it's the ultimate price. It's costly. And that's for a good person. <laughs> but here's what Paul's doing here with this question. He's reminding us yet again, you are not a good person. So how much more unimaginable is it that Christ would die for you? If one would scarcely die for a good person, how much more incredible is it that our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, would willingly come, willingly lay down his life for you, unrighteous sinner? In other words, if it is an incredible sacrifice for a fellow soldier to give his life for his brother who's fighting beside him, how much more incredible is it for Christ to give his life willingly for his enemy. How much more incredible is that? That's what Paul is getting us to see here. That's what Paul is showing us. I mean, think about this church. This is the power of the gospel. And I want you to also think about this. Jesus did not just die for you so that you can somehow extend your life, your earthly life for another 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, that's great. Um, that's, that's wonderful. But that's not what happened. See, Christ died for you to give you eternity. This is huge and this is the power of the gospel. And I want to be, be clear here. I... Um, I want to be careful here because I don't want you to hear me wrong. 
with this. The call from this text, church, is not for you to feel guilty that that you would not be willing to die for someone else. That's not the call from this text. Now, Scripture in other places will definitely call you to give yourself, not to count your life as your own and to give yourself and your life away for the love of God and others. That is certainly true, okay? But here in this text, hear me, the primary point of this text is not for you to evaluate your love. It is first and foremost to be overwhelmed as you evaluate the love of your God the great love that your God has and the great love that your God has demonstrated for you. And how can I say that? Well, that's because it's exactly what Paul says. In our text, he says, but God shows his great, his love for us. Other translations uh, may say God demonstrated his love. Eugene Peterson summarizes it like this, but God put his love on the line for us. See, God shows his love. He demonstrates, he reveals his love. He puts it all out on the line. In other words, Paul is getting us to see with even greater clarity the love that our God has already demonstrated, church. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, there's that while word again. Um, While we were still sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. So if one would scarcely give their lives for the good people in their lives, how much more incredible, beautiful, and amazing is it that Jesus Christ gave his life for you while you were dead in your sin? This is the gospel. Christ did not die for the righteous, for the good, for the friend, for the brother. No, church. God's word says it is while you were still sinners that Christ died for us. Jesus died for the sinner, the enemy, the broken. And I love Paul's word choice here. He uses the pronoun we. This is an inclusive pronoun. See, Paul identifies himself as and with the we, as the sinner. This collective pronoun that includes Paul in church, let's be honest, this includes you, this includes me. Going back to Eugene Peterson, um, let me share the way he summarizes this whole verse. So, but God put his love out on the line for us, he says, by offering his son in sacrificial death. And then listen to this. While we were of no use whatsoever to him. (laughs) That is so good. God did not wait until we had done enough to be of use. He did not wait until we had done anything to earn his love. No, church, Christ gave his life while we were dead in our sin Timing is everything. This church is love in action. And what is this love, church? Well, a commentator says this really, really well. He says, love is the voluntary placing of the welfare of others ahead of one's own. It is action and not sentiment. Love is the mightiest force in the world. Church, don't let your culture today cheapen the word love. (laughs) because I I know, I know you can love your dog, love bacon, love Christmas, love socks, love your spouse, love your church family, uh, love God. Uh, Like I get it. And, and each one of those, it, we use the same word, but listen, the word love means so many different things and so many different degrees, right? 
But I, I want you to hear me when you see the word love and when you understand God's love for you, it is not cheap, it is not puny, fragile, breakable, it is not light. As Paul is showing us here, it's not even unseen, it's not hidden, it's not secret. Paul says it has been demonstrated or put on display through the sacrificial death of the Son. It is action and not sentiment. Christ cares for us when we cared nothing for him. Christ loved us when we were his devout enemies. And church, I want to I want to finish with this. Um you know, I was reminded as a, as I was working through this text this week, I was reminded of the Old Testament prophet Hosea. And if you remember Hosea, Hosea is such an insane story. Really, really is. Um, Hosea's life, so most prophets are given like a prophetic word to give to a group of people to, that they would hear the word of the Lord, right? Well, Hosea was different because Hosea wasn't just given a word from the Lord, which he was, but it wasn't only a word from the Lord. Hosea was turned into an object lesson for the Lord. So Hosea's life is this object lesson where God chose him and called him to live a life, to take a wife and to have kids and to be an object lesson for the people to understand what God had done for them. And so the story is just crazy. I thought back to it. And, and at the beginning of the book, God gives Hosea this command. He says, go take um, to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. In other words, God says, Hosea, I want you to go find an unfaithful wife. By the way, in our text, in in Hosea, her name was Gomer. So go find Gomer. Go find this unfaithful wife because my people have been unfaithful to me. And, And God gives this command to Hosea to Go and find Gomer, and while she is still in her sin, I want you to marry her. Knowing her unfaithfulness, marry her. Have children with her. This is crazy. By the way, this is not normative advice here for believers to just follow. This is not the normative plan for the people of God to go find unfaithful spouses. Don't do that. Um, But for Hosea... He was called very specifically to this. And why was that? It was so that he could be an object lesson. And, and, and why? Because this is exactly what God had done with his people. He knew who he was choosing. If you remember um, what, God, what else God told Hosea to do later in the, in the book, in chapter three, Hosea, he marries an unfaithful wife, Gomer, and guess what? Surprise, she was unfaithful. Um, and so here's what God tells Hosea to do. Go again, he says, and love the woman who is loved by another man and is an, adul- an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. There's just so much here. But what happens here in Hosea is he goes and he buys her back. He redeems her. What a picture of the gospel. What a picture of what God has done in Christ. What an example of our text. See, church, what Paul is saying is you're Gomer. You are the sinner. You are the unfaithful one. But God showed his his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Not after Gomer cleaned herself up, not after she became faithful. No, church, while timing matters, 
You are Gomer. You are the sinner. You are the unfaithful one. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.